Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. So I don't even think most people know what a press release is. I think they just know that it carries some like cachet, and they're like, yeah, I was in a press release. <laughs> Today, I'm joined by Rachel Ratchford. Here, Rachel and I discuss the art of PR and the death of the press release. Such a fun conversation in turning an old process on its head and how to connect better with not only our buyers, but our partners like journalists. Before we talk about where your PR coverage can be more effective, a little bit about Rachel. Rachel Ratchford is a B2B SaaS marketer, experienced with influencer marketing, public relations, agency and in-house, analyst relations, customer advocacy, copywriting, content creation, social media, creative design, and messaging slash branding. She's worked at companies of varying sizes from startup to Fortune 1000 enterprise and gone through several exits. Her specialty lies in building programs for scale during high growth periods. Here's my conversation with Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Thank you for joining me on Tea Time. Hi, Carrie. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Before we jump in, why don't you tell our listeners your story, Rachel? What do you do and how did you get there? What do I do? Uh, How did I get there? I've been asked this question a lot every time I have a job interview or I talk to a candidate and I still haven't found like a great succinct way to tell the story. So I should probably work on that. But um, long story short, I studied English lit in college because I love anything that lets me read books. by Jane Austen uh, and then graduated and realized I had not thought about what, how that was going to translate into a career. Um, but I loved to write and I loved journalism. I just happened to graduate college at the time when that whole industry was going belly up. And so I got into PR, which I thought was the next best thing. Still get to work with, um, members of the press and write a lot. Um, it was very different than I expected, like client services. And it was, uh, yeah, agency work is is tough, but very rewarding. And then from there, um, I moved in-house and I slowly started to creep into more traditional marketing functions, not just comms. So I did things like analyst relations, managing a speaker bureau, um, case studies, content marketing, website development. Uh, so I got exposure to many different aspects of marketing, made a lot of lateral moves, uh, and it ended up working out because then I was able to um, take on roles where I was overseeing a team and the various members of my team now have functional responsibility for the programs I used to run. So, um, it's been, it's been a wild ride right now. I'm at a startup. I'm a total startup junkie. My last three jobs have been startups. It's a remote cybersecurity company called Cobalt. Um, and yeah, I have, I have team members across, I think pretty much every single time zone. So uh, very different to my days in a brick and mortar office um, with no laptop, <laughs> signing on from a desktop computer. But yeah, I'm great. And when you say across all the time zones, we're not just talking about the U.S. here. Like, true. Like, your globe, your your team that you manage is global. Yeah. 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 I have uh, people in Berlin. I actually don't think every time zone is true. There's nobody who is 
completely reversed in me, uh, or rather on my time zone. But yes, I do have team members in Berlin. So basically, um, that was my biggest hesitation when I was taking the job. I was like, okay, so do I have to sign on at 6am and stay online till midnight to just span all the working hours of my colleagues? But um, it's not like that at all. I think the world of work has evolved and the new normal doesn't call for that anymore. And I'm, I'm very for that. So it's been fine. Yay for asynchronous communication. I know, I know. Yeah, companies are getting good at it. Um, it's like so, so different than it was even five years ago. It's crazy. But you know this, right? You're remote. Yeah, yeah. No, I and I'm in the UK. So I'm, uh, uh, I'm five hours from you and then Berlin six hours from you. So um, yeah, but yeah, it's uh, you don't need to have a full overlap. It's just need a few hours, make sure you can sync up on yeah. meetings and then you're, mm-hmm. you're good to go. So yeah, jump into that Google doc, track your changes. They'll see them when they come online. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. I get, so I'm a little, done. yes, I am hyper productive. Um, cause remote work is my jam. Like I love to read. I love to write. So it's not like as taxing for me to sit in front of a computer and read Slack message. That's naturally how I consume information. So I'm like, oh, this works for me. But I could see it being very hard if you're the kind of person who really just needs to like poke your head into your coworker's office to ask them a question. And you're just like, oh, I don't want to type this out. Um, and managing the flow of information is a little crazy. There's just like a lot coming across different channels. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely got to streamline your systems and processes to like make it work. So everybody knows where to put mm-hmm. and how to get a hold of people and all of that for sure. It's uh, yeah. But I just can't, I just can't believe how much I get. I know. (laughs) So nice. I know. Well, I used to, you know, I used to go like for a walk around the block with my coworker. We'd grab a cup of coffee. We'd sit in the park and chat. And like, I'd miss that interaction a little bit, but I also am like, yeah, I get a lot of shit done. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. In terms of what's going on for you right now, what's one challenge you're currently facing? One challenge I'm currently facing. Well, managing remote teams is wonderful and I think is here to stay. Um, not necessarily the easiest thing because different people communicate in different ways. So, uh, and I find, especially if you're, if this is your first job and it's, you don't have the opportunity to sit next to people and hear them on the phone or just like read their body language in a meeting. Um, I think that's probably, and I, I manage people everywhere from like current college interns, people who just graduated to people who have like 10 years experience. So there's a pretty wide spectrum. Uh, And I do see the differences in terms of like, uh, yeah, if you're earlier in your career, I really benefited from that opportunity to soak up knowledge and stuff just by being in um, in the same headquarters location as my, as my coworkers. So uh, yeah. And that's not just like my direct team, either other teams too, having a sense of what everybody else is working on and the dependencies across teams is it's not easy. Um, and yeah, and I'm a mom too. I have two kids. So like remote work is also my jam because now I don't have to run home sweating buckets that the train is going to be late to pick up my kiddo. It's just so much easier to, to do both. Uh, but yeah, finding time to manage it all is a challenge. Yeah, I know. I, I would imagine that you can sympathize with that as well. Totally. So much, so much empathy and sympathy there. Um, yeah, yeah. Do, question for you in terms of your Berlin team: is there a is there a language challenge there, or no, it's pretty seamless? They all speak English. Yeah, they all speak English. I want to go to Berlin. I've heard it's a lovely city, very industrial feeling. But yeah, no, they all they all speak English perfectly. Uh, one of the people on my team who's in Berlin is actually the head of content, so she edits, writes, uh, and English is not even her first language, which 
uh, isn't always easy, but you'd never know. It's mind boggling. My best friend is, um, grew up in Switzerland. Uh, she's half Swiss, half Spanish. And she knows, like, she would say that she is not fluent. I, I push her on this because she can speak like eight languages or something insane. It's just like, I, I mean, when you grow up next to all these countries, I, I guess that's sort of what you have to do, right? But we are spoiled here in America. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that the not a lot of different languages. Um, there are like a lot of native languages spoken within the Cobalt family, but everybody mostly aligns on English. I don't know if like some of the people who work co-located in some of the international locations are speaking their native language. But yeah, I mean, another big challenge too is we're in cybersecurity, which is an incredibly crowded space. So many security tools. So to market to this audience, we're fighting just a lot of other vendors jockeying for mindshare. And so finding ways to distinguish ourselves is is not easy. Um, and that's one of the benefits of having a very diverse team too. Everybody sort of brings like different perspectives to the table. Um, and it's a lot of good brain power and creative thought. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. So you started in PR. Do you do a lot of PR now? I, it is where my heart lies. I don't do as much of the day-to-day management. Um, I like talk to our PR agency every so often. They're great. They're doing a really excellent job. Um, but there's a woman on my team who is the head of PR and, uh, she's great. She's, she's much more, she's much closer to it than I am. I'm a few years out of my agency heyday and she's like, uh, yeah, she brings really fresh perspective. So I totally trust her, but yeah, I, um, I just love to to join the calls and see how it's going. I think PR is such a fun, like functional area to manage and it has changed so, so much since the days of like traditional media, even 10 years ago. In what ways have, has it changed? Well, I think, you know, I remember being uh, in a meeting in my first PR agency and the, my boss being like, what are we going to do with bloggers? What, what's the deal with blogs? Are we going to like treat them like reporters? Do we pitch them? And we had this whole discussion about it. And it was an ongoing discussion about it because our clients were asking us like, should we start pitching these guys? This was before the term influencer even became a thing. But yeah, we started pitching bloggers. And I could tell that as obviously as the media landscape dwindles, there were fewer reporters on staff at each publication. So it's harder, you know, they're covering more. It's, it's harder to maintain a relationship with them. Uh, I think it used to be very relationship-based. Like you have your, you know, you take reporter to dinner, pick their brain, what are they working on, have that really strong bond. Um, now I think it's a numbers game. You just have to have a really well-crafted story, have to know how to get in front of them, what they cover, what they're looking for in the pitch um, and not come to them with bullshit and they'll appreciate that. But yeah, it's definitely harder to distinguish yourself in today's day and age. And I think a lot less relationship-based. It sounds like too, it's less relationship based because it's not so much just trying to get out in front of the big publishers, but it's actually yeah. like influencers is, is a whole channel. I feel like. I know, I know, but I'm in B2B and like, what is a B2B influencer? I have not cracked that nut yet. I know in D2C, if you're doing consumer marketing, it's a lot easier. I was talking to a girlfriend of mine who works at a CRM company and she was like, yeah, we're inviting some influencers to our, our conference. And I was like, what is a CRM influencer? Like, I don't, I don't know what that is, but they're out there. I think for cybersecurity, it's a lot of like former, um, like high profile chief security officers, maybe former analysts who covered the space who now do like the conference circuit are just really like, still very steeped in the industry, do a lot of public speaking, have a very large like social media following. 
but yeah, it's not as straightforward as it is. The, the concept of an influencer is definitely not what um, my mom thinks of when she thinks of an influencer. And I think, you know, a lot of traditional things that worked very well as media tactics back in the day, I think are no longer as relevant like press releases. So let's talk about what what you would consider the PR channels then. So when you're trying um, to get your, you, you craft your message, you have this beautiful story about what you got going on and then like, then what? Where does it go? That's a great question. I think it is, well, I have the benefit. PR is a functional area um, that rolls up under marketing communications, which is the department I am the head of. But I also um, oversee things like content marketing and the website. And PR at Cobol also includes not just traditional media relations, but like social media and speaking. And so we take those stories and we chunk them up across a lot of different platforms. So if it's a really good PR story, why don't you blog about it? We have um, one of our execs has a podcast. Uh, we have a guest on the podcast to talk about it. We will pitch it to an event as a speaking submission. We will package it up for award submissions, especially if it's something like innovation focused and it's the right kind of audience. And then we will also take it to press. So like there's longevity across different channels. It's not just like looking at PR in a silo and or having like, you know, PRB over here doing its own thing while everybody else is trying to generate demand for the company. It's like clipping it into everything else that the marketing team is doing. I love that. And I think that, I mean, I, I feel like that's a huge shift that's happened in the last 10 years where all the different parts of an organization were definitely siloed. Um, you had sales over here, product over there, PR. Oh, yeah. Digital. Yeah. Well, and completely. now it's sort of all coming under the umbrella of demand is where I yeah. feel like things are headed. I think that's the benefit of looking at working at a startup too. I have a really close relationship with the head of demand gen, the head of product marketing. And so I see how like the revenue engine of the house works and things. And, you know, we have a CMO who believes that really nothing marketing is doing should be separate from driving sales. Even like you could argue, what is the value of a press hit? Well, everything's generating awareness uh, for the company and there's downstream implications. They're going to our website and they're booking a demo or whatever. Um, the idea of like a rising tide lifts all ships, but it isn't always that way. I think I, at my last company, we were bought by a very large um, enterprise technology provider of like 10,000 people. And so I was absorbed into like the corporate communications team and they had no idea what was going like. They didn't work you know, they were trying to get one of our spokespeople to join something. And I was like, he's busy. It's the end of the quarter. And they were like, what do you mean? What, when is the end of the quarter again? Like just no idea what the sales team is doing. Um, just like very focused on getting press coverage that was uh, like way too removed from what the core of the business was doing. It's just a different way of, because um, they weren't measured the same way and they weren't under the same scrutiny. So it's just a different way of doing communications. Yeah, I, I hope that that different way is, going away because it just feels so disconnected from what you, you know, the whole organization should be driving towards that bottom line. And yeah, I love what you're saying yeah. about the rising tide. Like, um, so let's go back to, you said, you said press kits. What's a, I'm being a bit, um, dense here. Cause I, I, uh, haven't touched PR too much, but like, and maybe other listeners who are, who are with me are like, also like, what's a press kit? <laughs> 
I think I said press release, not kit, but a press release would be like the marquee item in a press kit where a press kit might include like logo, headshots of executives, so like a couple package quotes up. But yeah, I haven't sent out a press kit in a while. So so how are you getting this stuff out then? If it, if it's if it's not a press release, because you just said something around press releases not being a thing anymore. Being dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I should probably explain that sentiment because it is not always a popular one. So um, I have written so many press releases in my career that it is crazy, but I, you know, I, I used to write them and, you know, it would take weeks of writing and then the, the executives or the spokespeople or the business leaders would get them and scrutinize like every last line. And then you go back and forth, you'd write the press release over a course of a few days. And then the editing process was like a week or two because everybody just picks every line. Um, it was even a more painful process when I worked at a public company. Um, and it was just like investor relations had to review it, uh, legal. Um, and then we would issue it over the wire. And I don't, I don't even know what the wire is anymore. It's, I, in my opinion, just this like holdover from the days of a traditional newsroom. You had everybody sitting around a table and, and the, the news of the day would come over the wire and people would look at those headlines to see what they wanted to cover that day. And that's not the way things are structured anymore. Now it's like $2,000 to attach an image to a press release. I don't understand why, like, isn't everything, isn't the internet? Like, isn't that, why is it more money to attach an image on the internet if it's going out and then you get pickups in like, you know, these tier three outlets that uh, just basically are bots that pick up like wire crawlers that pick up news. And so, um, I'm not saying there's never validity in going the press release route. I think if you are a public company and you want to show the market, like, you know, you, you want them to go to your ticker symbol and see recent announcements, there is a lot of merit in that. But for most companies, I think the money can be better spent elsewhere. If you are issuing a press release and your goal is coverage, which is usually the goal, um, you can get the same amount of coverage with a really well-written blog post and a good agency team that's taking the news out and has crafted a well-written pitch and is tailoring it to their audience. I just, I don't think the press, the press release is necessary to get headlines anymore. We do them at Cobalt, we do, but we typically do them, like we pull all our news from the quarter into a single media announcement versus like one-offs here and there, because I just, I don't see product news getting covered the way it used to be. I think reporters are looking for more human stories. And so they're less, they're less interested in like, what's this feature you know, that a, a startup is rolled out and more about like, what does it say about the market? You know, who's raising funding? Um, so that's, that's my thoughts on my press releases are dead. I just don't think they're the, I rarely advocate for them. In some circumstances, they're appropriate, but I, I usually push back on it. Um, and yeah, I, I've seen people being like, yeah, are we going to do a press release on this? And it's like, why do you know what that is? I don't even think most people know what a press release is. I think they just know that it carries some like cachet and they're like, yeah, I was in a press release. (laughs) Yeah. I think what they're really asking is how are we going to spread the news? Like we have this big story. Exactly. How are we going to get it out there? Right. And there's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the internet is just so much bigger now than, than the news outlets. It's, um, and there's so many great ways to really build relationships almost one-on-one or personalized with your audience that isn't just being a news blip in a yeah. news outlet that maybe will get seen. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't really also, read the news. Uh, Do you read the news? I don't read the I news. love the news. I am such, I probably, I don't even know how much, uh, I'm signed up for like every single New York Times newsletter and app. And I love my local news outlet, which is still like a major media publication is the Boston Globe. Um, yeah, I, I love like, I would probably still get the newspaper if it wasn't so convenient for me to just read the news on my phone. So yeah, I'm a pretty big news junkie, but yeah, I think like it's hard to, there's just so many outlets out out there and not enough time, but I, we also get a lot of um, paying for our buck with, you know, employee advocacy and getting people across the company to share on their networks and amplify our news. And that's, that's a great way. Um, And there's a lot of great tools out there that allow you to measure that ROI and impact. And so that's sort of, like monetizing your your colleagues and because we're all invested in the success of this business and so um, that's another good strategy that we've found I love what you said about there it is I love what you said about that news outlets are looking for more human stories what do you mean by that yeah so companies there's a balancing act and a bit of like a tightrope walk we have to do because companies and it depends on who your your boss is and who you're reporting into and how they view PR but many leaders will view it as like a way they they don't entirely understand the difference between that and advertising and so they'll be like yeah tell the story about how we announced this new feature and it's like well I don't know that a reporter wants to cover that they might you could use the news of that new feature as a Trojan horse to talk about shifts in the market how the world of digital transformation is evolving how end users are struggling to deal with X issue. Um, one of the biggest, one of the most successful uh, stories that our, our PR agency and our um, Cobalt's head of PR told in the last year, I think was, um, we're a fully remote company, as I mentioned, and there's a member, our head of customer success lives in like a really souped up RV. It's beautiful. It's like a luxury RV and he just travels he just travels around with his dog and he like spends a lot of the year on a farm with his, um, his in-laws, his brother or his, yeah, I think it's his brother and his sister-in-law, but he is also just traveling the world and he is able to like capitalize on the remote revolution to live the life he wants to live and still be successful in his career. And that was the story that they seized on. And it's, it's not about our product. It's not about how cybersecurity is changing. We have placed those stories, but it was just like this really in-depth feature talking to this guy and getting at the human piece of uh, a shifting industry. And so we can carry those learnings across into like, you know, we do a lot, we have a lot of success. We have the good fortune to work in an industry that is very hot and has a lot of headline making news, a lot of breaches, ransomware. We have Log4J, we have like discussions about cybersecurity vulnerabilities and legislation. And so we can do a lot of trend jacking to jump on those stories of breaking news and offer up commentary. And we do get a lot of uh, a lot of coverage that way. Um, it's been a core component of our program. But yeah, those two things, I think, really do fuel uh, the PR engine at Cobalt. I love that human story. That's so cool. Because I do think, you know, when people are looking at the organizations and the companies that they're buying from, like knowing who they're buying from, I feel like is becoming more and more important not because they want to know every single person at the company, but even just by telling a few of those stories about the kinds of people that are at your company, give yeah. people an idea on who they're, who they're working with and what kind of culture yeah. there is and what kind of values there are. And um, I think that just goes such, and, and to your point, 
Rachel, about the market being so crowded and how you differentiate, right? It's, you could talk totally. about it all day, but it's really about the people. I, uh, I, a company I worked at a few jobs ago, Rapid7 was um, a pretty known cybersecurity company. But when I started there, they were like early stage startup, hadn't gone through their IPO yet. And what we did, we had, uh, we were, I worked in the Boston office, which is their company headquarters. And there's a pretty strong media tech scene here in Boston, but there's also a strong like innovation scene where it's a lot of people showcasing, you know, people, people, entrepreneurs and local people in the tech economy and the burgeoning tech economy. And so we got a lot of great coverage for being a top workplace, being a place to, uh, that, uh, an employer that was hiring a lot. I did a lot getting coverage in like the Boston Business Journal, Boston, you know, built in Boston, a lot of local publications. And that was very much a springboard into national exposure and national coverage. And it, it started with telling stories of the people, as you said, spotlighting um, engineers and uh, like product sales, marketing, pretty much everybody we would do like uh, spotlight columns on them. And it got a lot of pickup. Um, Half tougher in a fully remote world where headquarters, the concept of a headquarters is a little bit more blurry, but uh, yeah, it gets back to what you're saying. Like people care about the people who work at a company and they want to work with a vendor who uh, is a good employer and where people like to be there because it means that they like their jobs and that it means you'll get good service or good product. Maybe this is an odd question and left field and not maybe, you know, not totally tied to PR, but I think it's really interesting when you're talking about bringing so much visibility to the, your internal team. Is your internal team cool with that? Like, do you have a lot of feedback? Do you have to figure out how to like work with them? Or is it like all in, like they're so excited, they can't wait. Like what's sort of the dynamic yeah. when you want to like highlight your people? Yeah, you're right. That is not unique to PR because we want speakers for trade shows. We want people to join our webinars. But uh, yeah, a lot of, there are some people who love the spotlight and it's true for customer marketing too, like sussing out those customers who you can really amplify to become, references and champions of your brand. Some people love it and they see it as a personal brand building exercise and they want to add that to their resume. And so they are all about it. And that's great. Some people are much more hesitant and reluctant and they, they want a lot more prep. They want to know exactly the, the questions that they're going to have to talk about or respond to. I love doing both. I think that it can be a little bit easier to just go with the people who are the super extroverted um, love to be the center of attention, um, or like natural spokespeople, I'm not saying that every, every spokesperson loves to, loves to get attention, but like some of the best spokespeople I've worked with have been the more reluctant, um, the CTO and founder of my last company was phenomenal. And he, I think he worked with a speaker coach and he got better at it over time, but he brought like a very authentic vibe to his speaking engagements and his press interactions. Um, CEO of my current company, he is actually not one of the key spokespeople we use on a regular basis um, because, you know, we have a fantastic uh, chief strategy officer and she's our like primary evangelist. Uh, but when I do, sometimes you just talk to somebody and they, they want to talk to the CEO, like in order for the article to run, they have to get access to a CEO or a founder. And so when he does talk to press, he's like, you know, very transparent, very authentic, and it carries through and they, they can pick up on that. And it's, it creates like a very, um, a positive vibe and like a sense that there's no veneer there but yeah those are the people who are knocking down and like the engineers a lot of times um you would prefer to just like not they want to do their thing but um I like it if somebody's like a yeah and especially if you want them to seem like they know what they're talking like it's okay to be 
a little bit awkward or like a little bit, you know, not super comfortable on stage. I think people can really warm to that as long as it's not like so painful that everybody just this wants to leave and get this poor person some peace. So yeah, I'm all about having like different personalities that you showcase. I think it makes even prospective candidates feel like there's a place for them at that company. They don't have to be like the person who's, um, you know, like banging down the door to present to me all hands meeting, which I know you are shortly. But. <laughs> uh, I would rather not. I would rather have somebody there else you go. But I have the CEO founder, so I got <laughs> But I think that's also really great. I've had a lot of CEOs who were like the brazen swaggery type, and then I've had um, CEOs that were not. And I think both are like really wonderful and great to showcase that you don't have to be any one personality type to be successful. Yeah, it works out because my business partner is more of that swagger. So it's the yin. Yeah, Yeah, and you balance it. (laughs) Yeah, yes. Um, This is really helpful, Rachel. So you you know, in terms of the way you find stories, making them more people and authentic around the human aspect from both internal and external. In terms of the external human, we talked about it a lot about the internal, which is really cool. Um, In terms of the external human piece, does that become more about your customers, your potential customers? Who are you, who are you leaning into there to help fuel your message when you're looking externally? Is that from like, um, and as like a people standpoint. Yeah, well, customers are the way, a lot of, especially when we're talking just about PR, many reporters will say, I don't just want to talk to vendors. I want an end user. Uh, and it's like a must in order to get your article to publication. So we do have, it's it's tough. Customers are not on our time frame. They are, even if they love our brand, they're not working for us full time. They have their own, usually very demanding jobs. So um, setting deadlines and getting them to participate in prep calls and stuff. We have to think a lot about what kind of load we give them. Uh, I'm also really lucky because our sort of chief evangelist, I hate that word, but she is, um, she's like our chief strategy officer and does a lot of external speaking. She does not feel like a vendor when you talk to her. She's very good at not like just talking about the product, but connecting with her audience and talking about the things that matter to them and being sort of like a voice of authority on the industry. And so we're lucky in that regard. I've, I've been in similar positions at other companies where we had to do a lot more coaching to get the primary spokesperson to that point. And we have some other like really solid spokespeople that are in other functions. Um, like our director of delivery, uh, you talk to him and he just seems like, yeah, he'll, he'll riff on anything in the security industry. It doesn't have to be about pen testing, which is what Cobalt does. Uh, but yeah, cool. customers, customers are the way to go. If we have a really juicy story and we really want to get, especially major media coverage, we almost always have to have a customer. And they they jump on board and they're cool with it or you have sort of agreement. Yeah. No, no. I, I have a, another woman on my team who manages our customer marketing program, which is primarily advocacy focused, getting references, public facing references. Um, and she's good at her job, but yeah, it's tough. They have to really love our brand. They have to find something they're passionate about. They have to be somebody who is comfortable getting on the phone with uh, a reporter or, you know, and it depends on the ask people get really finicky about press releases They hear the word press release. And they're like, I don't know if I can give a quote for a press release, but at the same time, they'll give us a case study. They're just a little bit more comfortable with that medium. And it's like, well, they're both public and they're both going on, you know, going to be externally facing. So I don't necessarily understand why you'd be so comfortable with one over the other, but we have had to turn down press opportunities before. A lot of times if it's a tight turnaround and they want a customer, we just we can't make it work unless it's the stars are aligned and we happen to have somebody on hand who is able to comment on that specific thing and wants to, and we've coached them. 
but yeah, it's, it's an, on, it's a full-time job here at Cobalt to get, uh, you know, uncover those champions and get them to a place where they're, you know, we understand how we can partner with them on advocacy initiatives. I don't know that I run into too many startups and marketing departments that really put so much emphasis behind PR. It sounds like it's a huge function of what y'all yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, we have a very minded executive team, but you're right. Sometimes I was hired at Cobalt um, right after, right before we got Series B funding. And that's early for a marketing communications hire. Usually you're going to focus on like product marketing and demand gen because you really want to grow that part of like you just are growth focused. But I'm, I've had the good fortune to be brought on early stage at several companies and uh, it's really benefited in me in my career because it's made me laser focused on like, what's the ROI, what's the impact of sales. And I've learned how to like shape these programs in a way that actually does have business impact. I think that's so cool. Cause I don't know that people look at PR as the opportunity for that. So yeah. is it really just your, your visibility into what's going on from a demand gen standpoint, or is, have you built, have you built the PR engine over there on top of that? Like what's the connection for people who are like, oh, maybe I should be figuring this out. You know, what's the connection between the, the knowledge, the knowing of the ROI and, and the sales team and what they need and then using the PR function to actually, and the strategy of that to drive that through. Cause it, you know, you've said coverage a lot but it sounds like coverage is sort of the top of the funnel piece of that. So how do you take somebody from, seeing an article or a piece of news about you to actually getting them through that, almost passing them off to demand gen, it feels like, it feels like there's sort of a handoff that happens. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily a straight handoff. There is a connective tissue, but of all the functions within marketing, you would probably be right to say PR is the most removed from like specific growth numbers and generating, like it does generate demand, but not directly. we see a lot of, um, so one example I think is web and SEO. A lot of times when you're looking at search intent, the best, the top hits for our uh, market category, or even sometimes like very key terms that are um, indicative of like buying intent for, for Cobalt, the top hits are not vendor websites. The top organic hits are not vendor websites. It's like news outlets because they're seen as very authoritative sites and so we get a tremendous amount of visibility from like strong feature coverage um we were th- for like a full year one of the top no the top results for like um how to buy x um was our article in a third-party publication a contributed article we've written so uh that's great for us and we've been doing it so well for so long that we're starting to see competitors do it like our uh, a couple of our execs have recurring columns in publications where we now see like the head of like marketing at one of our competitors now has a column, which not a coincidence. Um, they're just trying to bump us from the top spot. So I, I for sure think that there's an organic search component. I also, um, we, we do like office hours or we have a pretty good relationship with the sales team and we'll ask them, you know, what do you want us? What do you want to be seeing from marketing? What do you need? And all of the time, all the time reps will be like, yeah, I read a lot of articles uh, that quote, do we do any of that stuff? And it's like, why? Yes, we do. I do think that we equip them with the coverage. They don't always, it's the eternal struggle, right? Like you're giving sales all this stuff and they don't know it's there. Or they're not reading it because 
you know, fairness, anything that takes them away from selling their focus on closing deals. So you have to tell them what you told them again and again. But um, I, I definitely think, and the things that the company rallies around the most that we see shared across social or um, just like that gets a lot of like um, amplification from the internal team are when we win best workplace award, when we um, get a feature profile in TechCrunch, those are the things they share across their networks the most, way more than the marketing team releasing a white paper. Um, and so like we get a much broader reach with those more thought leadership pieces. And um, it's great. I mean, everybody can use them. The, the people team loves the best workplace badges. We put them on our LinkedIn profile. We get more candidates from it. It's a great employer branding tactic. Um, and the sales team will also use things like, um, oh, did you see we won this award? And yeah, like being on the PR side and knowing what goes into awards, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm a lot more jaded on them, but they are a great tool for selling. And uh, we have directly gotten feature coverage and won awards where like random members of the executive team will get kudos from our investors or founders or advisors because they came across something that showcased Cobalt. And I love to see that stuff. They usually forward it to me. And so-and-so will be like, oh yeah, I love to see Cobalt in this piece. That's a great quote you have. And so, uh, yeah, people read this stuff. They definitely, I think also as we sell into more like corporate enterprise companies, they want to know that we are not two men and a dog in a garage, you know? So they're looking for like industry validation. Has an analyst research firm covered you? Have you been in the press? Have you won any awards? What are the customer logos on your website? Are you working with established companies? Okay, I'm convinced. I'll talk, I'll talk to the salesperson. So all this sort of like, um, yeah, forms a, a, a perfect storm, but it's all, it's all somewhat interrelated. It's just, it's, it can be really tough to measure the impact of things like PR, but that's how we think about it a little bit. No, that's incredible. I mean, the validation of it, right, is just is so powerful and uh, great content for people to share out and get that visibility. And it absolutely has direct impact on SEO for sure, from backlinking to uh, visits to people reading an article and then searching for yeah. you. Like there, mm -hmm. I'm sure that if you were to turn PR off for a week and then measure your SEO before and after, there would be a clear correlation there. <laughs> yeah. It might take longer than a week, but yes, it would for sure. We would take a hit. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I, I was exaggerating, but yeah. But the, but the metrics are so tough. Like, you know, my last job, the VP of marketing was always like, how are we going to measure ROI of PR. And so we would do things like share a voice and we had the SOV calculator and those are such imperfect algorithms. I think it's a great month over month benchmark, but I don't put a ton of stock in the actual, like, you know, cause you could have a competitor that put out a piece of news that got decent pickup, but it was all bots. And so it's going to skew the SOV number. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't fully cracked that nut yet. Maybe we, we should hang out and riff on it because I love problems like this. I think they're so interesting. And I and yeah. not to say that it would be per, it, you can't get to a perfect number, but there, there are definitely some key metrics that I think would, especially when you're talking about demand, I got PR to me feels like it's a huge demand generator, um, which is all about that awareness piece that's top of the funnel and then nurturing people through to that, to that end goal and eventually getting yeah. those leads, but it's not what it's about at the, at the onset. And so, yeah, no. It is. Yeah, no, come to Boston. We'll definitely riff on this over, over drinks. Rachel, thank you so much. This was awesome. I had a blast before we close out. I do have uh, my people first questions because 
we're all humans. I, I feel like that's been such a clear theme throughout our conversation here. And so what better way to wrap up than to learn a bit more about who you are outside of being the marketing guru of, mm-hmm. of all the things you do. All the hats. Yeah. Wear. All the hats I wear, mostly headbands, but yes, I do have some good hats. I am uh, an avid Peloton enthusiast. I know that's like almost becoming cringe these days, but I was a Peloton enthusiast before it became big. Like I was spending so much money on SoulCycle and when Peloton came out, I was like, oh my God, amazing. And I bought one and I've never looked back. It has changed my life. It got me through like two pregnancies. It got me through a pandemic and quarantine and to this day continues to keep me sane if I have like uh, an hour between calls I can just squeeze in a workout and I have literally no excuse to pass it up I can do it in 20 minutes they have 20 minute classes um so yeah I um hope to be a Canadian one day I'm married to one and I want to get citizenship hopefully we can figure out how to do that one day and my kids have dual citizenship um yeah other than that I'm a pretty big crossword puzzle nerd I like like I said, I have every New York Times app. So any New York Times word game, I'm all about. And then uh, I am a mom um, and my baby is like, I have a baby and a toddler and my baby is just a mega baby. He's huge and he like screams like a foghorn yell. Um, so I'm trying to get him to learn some words so he can start at least asking for some of the things that he needs instead of screaming at me. <laughs> I don't miss those days. It was glorious when seeing your oldest, you know that from your oldest one, but yeah, when they could start actually like asking even for simple things is like up or more. I know completely. It's going to be a game changer. Every little milestone gets a bit easier once he started sleeping through the night. If we can get a couple words in, um, I will be, yeah, I'll be a happy camper, but I'll miss these days when I'm gone. Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. That was my conversation with Rachel Ratchford. Thoughtful, effective messaging seems to be a theme this season. If you'd like to learn more about Rachel, be sure to connect on LinkedIn. Link is in the show notes as always. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. If you found this conversation with Rachel helpful, please subscribe, share, and like. I appreciate, I appreciate your support. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, our agency that accelerates the mission of cybersecurity vendors via SEO, digital ads, and analytics. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketinginc.com to apply.